Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 228. Well, just ahead, smart water. Yeah, it's a thing. And it's the secret to the success of Badger Meter. We'll have that story. Plus, Coursera finds that AI may be a friend or maybe a foe. And a fascinating conversation with Trex CEO, Brian Fairbanks. Green decking is taking off. And thanks to technology, it's taking a bigger and bigger share of the construction business for decking all around the world. But first, before we get to that story, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We're going to explain the business stories find some stocks and move. And to help me do that, joining me on the mic today, Ben Wilson, our editor extraordinaire. Ben, glad to have you. Glad to be here as always. You say here, you're in Texas. Yes, I am. You're in Texas. Something like that. Why why not? Exactly. He's all hat, no cowboy. (laughs) Minus the hat. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with Badger Meter, a company that uh, we haven't talked about on the show before, but I've followed for a long time. Sounds like fun. Badger Meter trades with the ticker BMI with a market cap of about $4.1 billion. Shares are down 1% the last week, but for the last 12 months, shares are up 38%. What's the story with Badger Meter? Yes, BMI does not always stand for body mass index. In this case, Badger Meter, what does the company do? They make meters, water meters. Where? In Wisconsin, the Badger State. So there we get Badger Meter. This is an old business that is really just doing well um, if you look at this stock over the last 10 years, well, the S&P 500 over 10 years is up, basically doubled, a little bit better than 100%. Badger Meter is up 500% in the last decade. So pretty impressive returns for this stock and and for this company. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, Ben uh, has had a great year, up 38% in the last year. Um, utility sales are just doing well. They're up 31% for this company when they reported the quarter uh, in the last week primarily driven by strong growth across their digital smart water solutions. Okay, it's not the water that's smart. It's the meter that's smart. These smart water meters give digital measurements of things like the how much flow is, is going on in the, at, the, at the site of the meter, the water quality, the fluid chemistry, the temperature, the pressure, um, and all those things help a utility and a homeowner or a business manage their water more efficiently, helps them conserve more water, um, with efforts to reduce greenhouse gas uh, uh, emissions uh, in the world. Um, having better usage of water as water becomes in shorter supply is just a long-term trend that has been good uh, for Badger Meter as municipalities replace their aging infrastructure with new digital smart water meters. And one of the things this company has done uh, is acquire lots of little companies, not least of which is a smart water tech company called Cyrenix which they acquired on January 23 and is already bringing results for Badger Meter. Badger Meter reported almost a $200 million, $186 million quarter. And uh, their CEO says uh, the technology and innovation in meters is what's driving their success and they will continue to invest in it and continue to make investments. Here is Badger Meter CEO, Keith Bockhorst. Yeah, so I think if you just look at our history and totality, the strategic investments are what have brought us to the point that we're at, whether that was being 
you know, first in our market with ultrasonic meters or first in our market with cellular radios or bringing the water quality portfolio in, developing our own software. Uh, in many cases, it's continuing to invest in ad- keeping and advancing our lead in cellular, uh, keeping or advancing our lead in software as a service, our, our software offering, uh, continuing to integrate water quality and, and Cyrenix into the broader portfolio and cross-selling. So uh, the long answer is yes. The short answer is yes. I mean, we continue to uh, follow our capital allocation priorities of, of you know, number one, R&D investment and, and priding ourselves in keeping our innovation leader status, uh, increasing dividends annually in line with earnings and disciplined uh, M&A. Uh, so, so that hasn't changed. That's the same as it's been. So there you have a badger meter. Fascinating and weird business, uh, Ben. I've followed this for years. Um, I, I worked at a hedge fund that at one point talked about launching a water-only fund. Um, and so we did some deep dives into lots of water-related stocks, both long and short. Um, and, uh, and I got to write the investment prospectus as well. It was a fascinating um, uh, thing. And badger meters is, was, looked like it was going to end up being a core holding. And Boy, I hope that fund still held it because it's had this fantastic return over the last decade. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Coursera. Coursera trades with the ticker COUR with a market cap of about $2.7 billion. Shares are down 4% in the last week, but for the last 12 months, shares are up 55%. What's the story with Coursera? Do you, do you know this business, Ben? It's, uh, uh, they t- do online instruction. Yeah, I've I've seen some of their online courses. I've always thought, oh, maybe one of these days I'll do a Coursera course, and just never got around to it. Yeah, they um uh, when it first came together in 2011, it was a couple of Stanford uh, students, um and they they came with this idea. It was well, there was a trend at the time of these massive open online courses and basically giving away uh, an education. Of course, they changed uh, to a freemium model where they give away some and charge for others. But the the real big business wasn't sort of higher education. It was corporate training and training low-level employees to here's how you use Salesforce or here's how you use this, this enterprise software program that our company is going to use. Um, and uh, during COVID, uh, they had a huge boom because online education and, uh, for individuals and for businesses um, trying to upskill their workers or train them in new things happened online because everyone was home. Um, and so during the COVID uh, bump, they saw learner registrations jump 65% um, in uh, 2020 for the year. Uh, and the company went public in 2021 right afterwards with this big uh, growth spurt uh, right behind them. Things have slowed down since their L&D learning and development business has slowed down a little bit. But so here's what's interesting, though. The company uh, is now talking a lot about a- AI. And how AI is going to help them drive people because people are going to want to up-level their skills and will have to learn how to do new things, which makes sense, I guess. I don't know. They're, they're using some of the same slides in their, in their co- corporate reports that, that used to not mention AI at all are now putting AI on the headlines with the exact same information in underneath. Um, and so they claim to be getting an AI benefit, but I don't know. I mean, If they've got a, you know, so everyone says AI is going to take out sort of junior level jobs of, of, of lawyers and of all kinds of people doing beginning design work and and whatever. Well, if AI is going to get rid of the need for these sort of low level first time users of certain software or certain jobs, isn't that exactly what Coursera teaches to? So if those jobs are going away, thanks to generative AI, maybe Coursera will see less use 
of their business, less need for their business instead of more need for their business. So I thought I'd go back and see. Coursera doesn't report for a couple of weeks, but I want to see what shows up in their results. Uh, and indeed, uh, you know, running AI it can be really expensive for some of these companies um, uh, unless you're selling the running of AI, which these guys are not. They're selling courses. So I wanted to see what they had to say about it. So here is the CEO of Coursera trying to make the excuse that AI is good for Coursera rather than bad for Coursera, even as they talk about when they're using AI, they're getting rid of lots of junior jobs and doing things more quickly. Some of them think that's going to be different for their customers. I don't know. Here's a Jeff Magian Calda, the CEO of Coursera. We're kind of going crazy on this these days. Um, and I think that the impact on the business will be not unique just to Coursera, the way we run the business. I think there's a few things. Most of the productivity that we expect to get at Coursera, this is separate from, you know, helping learners get more value and helping our educator partners get more value. But internal to the company, um, you know, a lot of our costs are headcount and a lot of our headcount costs are in R&D. And what I'm hearing from our engineers is that the productivity improvements that you can get as a software coder, especially uh, at, at more entry-level software coding jobs, is considerable. So I think I think software coding productivity is going to go way up. Uh, all the marketers who are do- doing language, you know, uh, most of our performance consumer marketing teams have been using earlier versions, not ChatGPT, but like GPT-3 is, I think, when it started picking up steam. They've been using this to help uh, write articles, uh, write uh, marketing messages, write emails, et cetera. Their productivity and quality has, has, has gone up quite a bit. So engineering, uh, marketing, on the design side and product side, I've seen designers, you know, we, we do this, you don't know this, but like every couple of weeks, we do these show and tells, which is like, let's show everyone in the company how you're using generative AI to change, your, to change the way you do your job tasks. We had a designer put together a, a, uh, a sort of a, a learner journey vision. It was like a, know, like a 15 minute video with video, uh, script, uh, audio, screenshots, et cetera. And he did this all, he time bounded it. So it was only, he did it, the whole thing in eight hours. He said he did in eight hours what would have taken about a week uh, for him to do and involve a lot more people. So I think on the design and creative side, the marketing side, the software program side, it's going to be huge. And then for all the other positions in the company, like anybody who uses a software tool, whether that's Salesforce or whether that's Google Docs or any tool, all these tools are not getting electrified with AI. So they're just becoming more productive. And I, so I'm pretty sure... Not, by the way, not to mention services, uh, which can pr- provide. There was just an article from MIT suggesting that services um, uh, productivity really goes up dramatically when you start using what's generated by us. So I think it's going to be across the board. So uh, we'll see what happens with Coursera, but they're not selling the the, the works that make AI work, like a Amazon or Google or HPE or somebody. But instead, they're, uh, we'll see if they're, uh, I don't know, as the old saying goes, sometimes you're the windshield and sometimes you're the bug. We'll see about Coursera. I love that saying. Yeah, it's a fascinating dichotomy and we will definitely see what happens. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at SAP. SAP trades the ticker SAP. Market cap of about $165 billion. Shares are up 2% in the last week, but for the last 12 months, shares are up 54%. What's the story with SAP, Corey? 
a fantastic run with SAP because the company has really turned to Shocker, turned to the cloud and software as a service. And their cloud business, uh, and indeed their AI cloud business, has done quite well. Cloud was about half of uh, the revenues in the last quarter, 7.7 billion revenues. Three and a half billion of that was cloud. Uh, and their cloud backlog is huge, uh, $12 billion in, in work that's coming their way. But uh, their their cloud business was really driven by uh, uh, ERP, Enter- Enterprise Resource Planning Software. And that's a software that uh, helps basically run an organization and figure out what comes next for an organization at every step. Their cloud ERP business at SAP doing really well, thanks to Shocker, artificial intelligence. And I thought it was really useful when their um, uh, CEO, Christian Klein, uh, with his uh, not that thick German accent, talked on the conference call this last quarter about uh, one of their customers, LG, and how they were remanaging their uh, their their business around um, uh, electricity, electric batteries, and, and new kinds of products. And as a result, are changing the way they do things, and they're using SAP software to get there. Here is Christian Klein. With regard to the pipeline, look, um, I highlighted LG Electronics, for example, and uh, this is a very good example on many of the ERP deals we are doing. This company is also going through a massive transformation and electric and batteries, they are producing this at mass scale. And this is a different business model to what they did in the past. And so they not only need a new ERP, they need a new way of how they won LG Electronics. And that's why they are deciding and approving this business case. And so this is essential to their business. And while, of course, the macroeconomic times are tough out there, we are extremely relevant to our customers' transformation. And on top, you heard the announcement around SAP Business AI, and of course we have to deliver that in the cloud. And that's, of course, another strong driver for our pipeline in the next quarter. So that backlog and that pipeline, Ben, uh, really suggests that they've got a lot more work coming their way. And I think it's so useful. I think that um, as people hunt through artificial intelligence and are inspired by their experience with ChatGPT and BARD and other things, um, really looking to other companies to try to figure out what they can do, I think you're going to see companies like SAP uh, be in a position at least to benefit from that as they can go to their customers and say, hey, have you ever thought about trying this? Buy our stuff. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk to the CEO of Trex. So it's an interesting company, the intersection of, of green manufacturing, again, talking about greenhouse gas uh, reduction and the, their ability to use um, uh, recycled materials to create decking that's becoming really popular and how this company uses technology to drive their results. CEO Brian Fairbanks of Trex, you're really going to like this interview. It's an, it's an interesting one uh, right after this. Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with ERA. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. And welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined right now by Brian Fairbanks. He's the CEO of Trex. Uh, Brian, so glad to have you on. As I prepared for this segment, I was surprised to see Trex has only been around since 1995. It's a big company with significant market penetration of just about no time. I'll, I'll call 1995 not that long ago. Yeah, thanks. Uh, good, good to be on the show today. Uh, we are a relatively young company, uh, but we had the advantage of first mover advantage within the industry related to the invention of composite decking. 
And we've been able to build on that advantage as we've moved forward. So we've been excited to be at the forefront of the industry and making sure that we're staying ahead of what the customer requirements are for outdoor living. So talk to me about the product itself, which is is still kind of revolutionary. Um, and it's, it's pretty interesting uh, how it's made as well. Yeah, it's kind of exciting the way we make it. Uh, we've been a green company since it was cool, since before it was cool to be green. Uh, since our inception, we've been using over... 90- since when polluting was in fashion, yes. <laughs> we've been using over 95% recycled and reclaimed material. Our boards are roughly 50% wood and 50% polyethylene plastic. And we purchase these scrap waste from all around the country up into Canada, transport it to our manufacturing plants, and then run it through our extrusion process. We apply a durable shell, which gives our product the fade, stain, and scratch capability, uh, which really makes it a long-lasting product for our consumers to use. Our products carry warranties of anywhere from 25 up to 50 years. Which which wood does not. It's also, I think, you, you said this briefly, and I know it's so important, but one of the advantages of using recycled uh, uh, plastics is that you haven't been subject to the big inflation in in the chemical costs uh, or even the volatility in the chemical costs uh, over the last, you know, obviously 25 years, but especially over the last couple of years. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. The recycled material streams tend to be less volatile than virgin commodity type streams that are out there. Uh, And that's because there's fewer buyers of that material in the marketplace and fewer people who can really utilize that material effectively in their operations. Now, it doesn't mean that inflation doesn't impact us. We did see the cost of recycled inputs go up during the pandemic as the cost of of virgin materials went up, but it doesn't go up to the same degree. And when we see virgin inputs fall in cost, it's the same thing on the recycled side. We may see the cost come down somewhat, but not nearly to the same degree. So a much more muted reaction in price changes within these products. And and, if, and, uh, and your product, it's important to note, is so much cheaper than wood, uh, kind of across the board, pun intended. But yes, cheaper than wood. Right. So when you look at the lifetime cost of a Trex deck versus a wood deck, you will be saving a significant amount of money. One of the things that consumers are really looking for today is to be able to enjoy their outdoor living space. And they want to do that with low maintenance. Last thing a consumer wants to do is spend a weekend at the beginning of the summer cleaning, staining the deck that's got issues. And eventually that pressure treated deck is going to need uh, either repair and replacement. And of course, that comes along with a significant cost. So when you look at that lifetime cost of building a one Trex deck versus building multiple wood decks over your lifetime, the savings can be quite meaningful. Also, with the launch of our enhanced product line back in 2019, the cost of our product from an entry-level perspective starts at about 2x the price of wood. So for an extra five or six hundred dollars on the average deck, you can be putting a Trex product on your deck. Uh, and you say deck, oh, but uh, the advancements in railings is a new business line for you. Talk to me about how you pick that and what that means for the company. We've also been in railings for the majority of the history of the company, but it's something that we've started to put a lot more focus on, ensuring that we're getting what we call our fair share of the attachment rate 
within whoever's buying a Trex deck. So if you're out buying a Trex deck today and a railing is going on it, we want to ensure that our railing is going on it. Today, we are the largest manufacturer of residential railing in North America, but we see that there's so much more opportunity for us. We recently launched a product to compete specifically against vinyl rail. It's about a $300 million marketplace. And instead of installing vinyl rail, which does have some quality issues, now we've given the consumer the option to install a Trex quality product on there. Just a little bit more expensive than vinyl, but will outperform it significantly. Um, I always tell the uh, CEOs before they come on the show, as I did with you, we don't really care about the stock price. Uh, we care about you. We don't care about the, your stock price. Uh, and, we, and we don't care about the quarter. We want to understand how the business works. And I think that that's important for all investors uh, is to understand what the businesses are, not just the wiggly line on the screen. But your conference calls really make me not want to focus on the quarter. They're this mind-numbing uh, explanation and re-explanation to the analysts about inventories sell in and sell through and how the quarter is whatever the quarter is, but maybe the year is more important. They still don't get it. And they ask you basically to build the model for them over the course of the conference call. It's torture to me. I don't know how you put up with it. You seem a very nice guy and you seem to sound nice in the conference calls. But uh, it does seem that your business has um, an interesting uh, annual cadence to it. Yes, absolutely it does. Uh, we are a seasonal business. And with that seasonality, a much larger percentage of the sell-through occurs during the second and third calendar quarters of the year. So the way we'll normally run the business is we'll start building channel inventory during the first quarter. And it's important that we get inventory close to where- And that the channel is largely, it's a lot of Home Depots. I just started to be explained a little bit. It's a lot of Home Depots, a lot of Lowe's, and a lot of, of, of suppliers to professional builders. Home Depot, Lowe's, uh, Pro Channel locations, about 6,700 locations in total. And so what we'll do is we'll start to build that inventory the beginning part of the season. Because the season turns on so quickly, usually around April or so, if that material is not pre-staged close to where the consumer is going to want it, it's very difficult to get that much material downstream. So we'll start the year, we'll stage that inventory, and then in the second and third quarter, you'll see significant sell-through. And by the end of the third quarter, those inventories have diminished quite significantly. It's fairly common in building product companies that focus on outdoor living, where you have a very specific season where the majority of building is being done. One of the things we are seeing that's changed since I've started with the company, I've been here about 19 years now. When I first started, that summertime season was really important and you didn't see nearly as much building occurring during the fourth quarter and first quarter. Now we've seen weather conditions across the majority of the United States enable our contractors as well as DIY customers to be able to build throughout the year. So I think as we go forward, we may see a little bit less seasonality, but it still is an important part of our business today. Wait, so you're saying climate change has meant that contractors can build houses for more months of the year than they could even 15 years ago? I would say yeah, it's, it's more than just for treks, but across the board in the Northeast where you used to have uh, probably at least a month where you'd be under snow, you're not seeing that as consistently. Same thing in the Midwest at this point. Many of these contractors can be doing outside jobs year round. That's super interesting. And yet, uh, from what I've heard in your recent conference calls, it seems like your channel across the board is sort of taking less inventory. 
Um, and, and you've suggested that that's not sustainable. Uh, that pun was not intended, but you suggested it's not as sustainable. But is it? Because it, it does seem like it's a trend that's been going on for a while. Yeah. So coming into this year, there was a lot of concern about where the consumer was going to be. And the channel did pull back on their inventory during that early yeah. buy period that we talked about. And I mentioned in the first quarter call that I was a little bit concerned about that inventory in the marketplace. And as we've gone through the season, I would have liked to have actually seen it been there in the marketplace. We've talked to all of our distributors as we move into next year, and we see that that higher end consumer that's already in their home, they likely have a low mortgage rate. They're not looking to move anytime soon, but they are continuing to look to upgrade the place that they're living within that we do get the right amount of material in the marketplace. Uh, so I'm not concerned about that as we move into next year. Is, is a higher interest rate and a fewer in a marketplace with a fewer, fewer housing transactions better for you? Because uh, quite often the deck is either a fix or a uh, an add-on to an existing house as opposed to new construction? On the whole, I would rather see lower interest rates and more homes turning, people continuing to move up. Uh, to that next larger home as we've seen over the past 20 years. I don't think we're going back to the ultra low rates that we've seen over the past four or five years again. But I also don't think that we'll stay at this 7 or 8% rate over the long term either. We'll be able to manage it uh, regardless of which way it goes and really appeal to that consumer that wants to build that outdoor living space and be able to enjoy it with their family. So I'm, I'm really curious when I talk to a company such as yours that might not be, you know, here I am sitting in San Francisco in Silicon Valley um, and, and technology all around me. When I talk to companies such as yours, uh, uh, technology is not in software and, and, and the cloud are not things that um, people think about when they think about companies like yours. But you have made a handful of comments over the last couple of years about big um, uh, a big focus on ways to get more streamlined and deliver your your products to your customers in a more efficient way and the, your use of software uh, and um, high tech to do so. What, what are the tools that you found sort of most important? Is it software to manage your sales force? Is it inventory management? Is it, is it moving things? To, to, you've also you know, moved headquarters recently and certainly technology was a focus in that as well. Talk to me about, about that. Yeah, I think that's a great point. A lot of people assume if you've been around for over 20 years, you're a manufacturing company, we're extruding wood and plastic together, that we're old style, and we're using all of the old technologies. And we do have some of those in place. Uh, but we are staying up with the new technologies coming at us. AI is important as we move forward. We already have a couple instances of how we're using AI within the organization. One of the places that we're already using it is in our quality management on our factory floor. We see other opportunities within our call center to be able to provide quicker service to those that are calling in uh, that may have questions about Trex. And then just within the daily operations of the organization, what are the opportunities to be able to use technology to make us efficient as possible over the long term? And we can do that in Virginia here, as well as uh, companies out in California and Silicon Valley can do that. Well, let's drill down on that a little bit. What are, what are some of the technology projects that you're deeply involved in uh, with what, what kind of vendors are you working with as partners? Yeah, I think logistics is a great example uh, where uh, we're continuing looking for opportunities that will improve the efficiency of the way that we're moving our product and storing that product. So understanding all of the movements of the product from the manufacturing floor 
to the finished goods yard and then as we're putting it on a truck itself using technology to set our pick profile so when we receive a truckload order whether it's for decking or for our railing products that as that associate is going through the finished goods yard or warehouse that they are being dictated this is the order that we should go be picking the product so that we can be as efficient as as possible and what companies and where do you even learn about this or what companies vendors do you go to to work with on these things Give me some names. Yeah, we haven't. Uh, we don't really talk about the vendors that we're working with. We ask them to be secretive of working with Trex, as a lot of what we do, we consider trade secrets out there. Um, but it's uh, uh, we ask them to do that, and then we do the same for them. I get it. Um, so I can keep a secret, but you know, <laughs> the the gazillions of listeners we have in the drill down, maybe they won't. Um, it's it's fascinating. What do you do to keep up with these things and, and stay on top of these? Um, uh, possibilities to improve your operations? I've got a great team around me uh, that is always making sure that we're keeping an eye out for the latest technologies that can help our business. Now, you have to be careful. People walk in the door and this is a, they'll tell you it's a great technology and this is what it will do for the organization. And we're a trust but verify type group of people. So show us where these things have been implemented, how it's impacted other organizations, ask some really tough questions along the way to ensure that when we install whatever application we're going after, that we get the benefit from it. Fascinating stuff, fascinating business. Brian Fairbanks is the CEO of Trex. We appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, coming up next on the drill down the bite, one number that tells us a whole lot about Trex right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. And we're back with The Drill Down, the bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about Trex, Ben. Um, this, this decking. So I built a deck once, I guess we've had a lot of decks in my life, but, but, uh, when I built a house, I, I, I built a deck. I put porcelain on it, not, uh, any kind of wood. Um, <laughs> I guess we had a painted wood railing, but, uh, uh, these, this decking and railing made from these more climate friendly composites where Trex has a majority of the market rather than wood are taking off. And it's been a slow growth, but in uh, the percentage of decks made of, of, of wood plastic composites been in the U S 25% of yeah. all new decks. There's your number. 25% of all new decks were made of wood plastic composites. Um, and that's up from 19% when Trex went public in 2007. So it is a trend. It's a long, slow trend, but it's been a good one for Trex. Good job, Trex. <laughs> exactly. Why not? All right, well, thank you for listening to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. Help with this uh, as our fabulous co-host, co-host this week. The Drill Down of the Production of the Business Podcast Network. All right. All right. I will have this episode done in moments. Three, 